0: Hello, this is the Fight Back Podcast, hosted by exercise scientist Georgia Vary. Here, you'll find a series of honest conversations about martial arts and mental health. My guests and I explore the statement that every martial artist has heard. Martial arts saved me. How and why do combat sports save people? Listen to find out. Hey there, conscious combat soul. What, You? Yes, I'm talking to you. If you listen to this podcast, then you are a human being who loves combat and wants to be conscious about the way that you're doing it. You're interested in being more trauma-informed, more inclusive and more ethical in the way that you teach and participate in martial arts and combat sports. And that's why I would like to invite you specifically to join our new group, the Conscious Combat Club. We're on Facebook, And there's an emailing newsletter that you can sign up for, the details for both of which are in the show notes here. But now let's get to today's episode. Everybody, welcome to the Fight Back podcast. I'm here today with Nick Hookstra. Nick is a second degree black belt in judo, a black belt in aikido and a purple belt in jujitsu, which is all the more impressive given that he has a visual disability and an incredibly inspiring story. Nick, welcome to the podcast.
1: Hey, thank you so much. Can
0: you tell us a little bit more about you?
1: So I guess (laughs) what's probably most pertinent to the introduction is, so I'm completely blind. I lost my sight at the age of eight years old. And uh, really, um, I started wrestling in high school and started doing martial arts in college. And I haven't stopped since. I think sports... Um, but even more specifically, the martial arts have been one of the the most positive influences on my life. I think I can attribute a lot of my the success that I've had in life to sports, to martial arts, to the communities that I've built up around that and to the confidence that I've gained through through practicing. Um just as far as the other side of my life, I am currently a doctoral student at the University of Kansas. Uh, studying special education, and I've worked for over the last 10 years in international development work around the promotion of inclusive education uh, globally. So I've uh, lived now in five different countries with my work, and everywhere from uh, Japan, Spain, to Ecuador, uh, Switzerland, and uh, Chile. So I've, I've gotten around a lot, um, mostly due to my work, but I think the martial arts have been something that I've taken with me uh, through all of those travels, and they've been just integral to, to I think, my success just, just all through my life.
0: Incredible. Uh, let's dig in maybe a little bit more chronologically. So what was it like mm-hmm. starting wrestling and not being able to see your training partners or your opponents?
1: So, yeah, that's a good question. So before I had lost my sight, when I was a kid, I did a lot of wrestling with my dad. um just you know and for fun around the house um oftentimes to the dismay of of my mom and you know anyone else around because of course we would you know fall off furniture fall onto furniture knock things over all of the, the normal fun stuff so wrestling was something I guess physically I was sort of my body was sort of primed for but when I lost my sight specifically there was a period of time where I was on a lot of different medicines, especially steroids, uh, steroids that for medical purposes, not for, not for bulking up purposes, but one of the unfortunate consequences is it did bulk me up, uh, a lot of water weight. I gained an immense amount of weight from the ages of like eight to, to nine, eight to 10 years old. Um, completely nothing I could have done about it. And I really needed, so going into middle school, of course, um being somebody, I was I was quite overweight at the time. Uh, middle school is always kind of a, a difficult period. I really need something to, I think, take a little bit more control back of of my own body, of my health. And I eventually discovered, not discovered, but I eventually kind of settled upon, you know, wrestling is is a sport that's great for people who are blind. It's a full contact sport. you know, you're you're constantly in in physical connection with the other person. And uh, I started wrestling as uh, a freshman in high school, so in, in the U.S., what it would be the ninth grade. Mm-hmm. And I just loved it. Um, it was it was tough. I was not good at it, but I developed a, a whole community of friends. You know, one of the other things uh, being a maybe the the one of the only um, individuals with a disability in my school. Um. There were times where I felt a little bit isolated, Mm. but when I joined wrestling, I immediately had a whole team of friends. I had people that would stick up for me in school if necessary. I had, you know, our in jokes. It really made me feel like a sense of community within the high school and and definitely gave me a place where I don't know if I would have felt like I fit in as much without that.
0: Yeah. And do you feel like, There were any benefits to having one sense taken away and then perhaps having other senses become stronger? Like, I know, for example, for jujitsu, right? And like for throws, for hip throws, for example, it's very much about feel. You don't see when the person's weight is over you enough to be able to throw them, but you feel it. Um, I guess you have no comparison, but do you feel like that helped? You know,
1: I don't know if it helped at the beginning when mm-hmm. I when I had first started with wrestling because I think there was so much that I was learning at that time. I but I I would certainly say now, uh, twenty odd years later, almost thirty years later, as I practice Brazilian Jiu Jitsu and Judo, I definitely feel like some of those things manifest where I really, I think react sometimes a lot sometimes I believe I, I react quicker than other people just based on the the movements that I'm picking up from their body. Mm-hmm. Now there's that's not to say that another person without a disability can't also develop those same those same strategies, those same senses. There's nothing you know supernatural about about having a disability. Mm-hmm. but yes, i I certainly think that there are aspects of movements that because I'm relying on picking I, I'm relying on feeling how their body's moving. I certainly think that's a skill that i I've developed more of a a sense for than maybe somebody else who hasn't had to do that.
0: Totally. I think when I read Norman Deutsch's books, which I'm not sure if you've read The Brain That Changes Itself or The Brain Mm. That Heals Itself. And so for people who aren't aware, it's a book about neuroplasticity, about how different areas of the brain will adapt when one section is not being used. For example, a lost limb or lost vision or hearing. Other areas of the brain will take up that space and then have more capacity. Um, And so... Mm it's fascinating to see how you've been able to apply that. I think in jujitsu, not that in any way, it's something that I think people would wish for, you know, otherwise right. people would just close their eyes if it was a good thing, right. um, which people don't want to do. Of course, having your site is incredibly, incredibly important. Yeah. Um, but I think we think about disabilities as always being a negative, you know, and it's, it's really cool to think about how, Actually, you've got some other areas that are more developed and maybe more advanced than others. Absolutely. and
1: One of the things, especially when I'm discussing with people how to uh, teach individuals with disabilities martial arts, I think an instructor who needs to work with a student who learns differently from themselves. um, I'm thinking more specifically recently when I've worked with somebody who doesn't have the use of one arm. Mm-hmm. When I'm working with that person and trying to adapt a technique in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu with them, you start to look at that technique in a different way, and you, you know, as the in-person instructing at that moment, I think can really—it's an opportunity for you as well to to learn a different aspect of your art, or even to learn an, another way to do a technique. Because, I mean, any of us can can come across today in, in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, for example, if if the night before we we maybe had a bad roll and our elbows bothering us. Mm-hmm. And the next day, we're we're in that situation where, man, I just don't have the the force right now with my with my elbow hurting, you know. Maybe you have that that different way of doing a technique because you've worked through it with somebody who's not using an arm. So it's it provides an opportunity, I think, even for a a fully functioning individual to, and I, and I put that with air quotes, but you know, it's an opportunity for somebody who doesn't have a disability or who doesn't have some sort of impairment. To learn a new way of doing techniques to learn a new way of teaching to learn a new aspect of the martial art that they maybe hadn't considered or approached yet
0: definitely yeah that really resonates for me i broke my collarbone maybe two years ago and when i returned to training i could only really do passing and i had to be you know very light and actually obey flow rolling Whereas I think before that, I was very much like, yeah, we're going to flow roll, but, um, you know, you would force positions. And when you have no option, you can't roll over that particular shoulder, for example, you start to see other pathways that you could take, you know, the tree branches out in a different direction. And then you have all these new options, which is really valuable. It's really, really, you know, it's a great perspective to have. Absolutely. What other things have you learned both from your personal experience growing up learning wrestling and then, you know, judo and jiu-jitsu and aikido, and also your professional experience working in inclusivity that you can relay to other coaches as advice for working with people with disabilities?
1: Sure. One of the So I'm going to divide this into two parts. I think mm-hmm. on one hand, there's advice that I give to people with disabilities who've never tried a martial art, which mm-hmm. is to say... I really think that the martial arts can lend a lot to individuals with disabilities, especially when it comes to, to physical mobility, when it comes to just familiarity with our bodies and how to use it. And the the biggest point with this is don't try one martial art, decide you don't like it and give up on all martial arts, because I think there is a martial art for, for every individual. If you search it out, Mm -hmm. I definitely don't always recommend judo to the same people that I might recommend Aikido to or Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu to, because each person's going to, you know, it's like, it's like a flavor, right? Each person's going to find the flavor of martial arts that, that works for them that they like the most. So I don't necessarily think Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu is the best thing for everyone. Although I, I do feel that BJJ is maybe one of the, the most well-rounded martial arts for individuals with a wide range of, of, disabilities. Although somebody with autism, maybe that's not going to be the case because mm-hmm. a lot of physical contact is probably not going to be the best option. And that's where you can get into something different, like a, a martial art, like a karate or a taekwondo, where maybe there's not as much full-on physical touching all the time. So on that side, I think the, the martial arts really lend, a, they have something to offer people with disabilities, especially there are a lot of statistics that people with disabilities don't get as much exercise. Um, so on one, on one hand, it's a health thing, but even for me, I think doing the martial arts have just given me better balance, which mm-hmm. is important when I'm walking around. It's, it's super beneficial when I'm walking on um, uneven, uneven terrain. Um, I do a lot of hiking now and I really think the balance that I picked up uh, practicing Aikido and Judo have really helped me be able to just manage, you know, rocky paths when I'm hiking up a mountain or something like that, and also just the muscle strength to be able to to do that as well. So that's on the one side, but on the other side, as far as you know, advice for for coaches for instructors, it's a lot of you know I I have a whole list of of tips that I that I've kind of put together over the years, um, and a lot of it just boils down to. You know, communication is is really like the biggest thing, and the same type of communication does not work with everyone. And we can be looking at if you're working with somebody who is visually impaired. Uh, in the case of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, you can oftentimes use that person as your uke. It would be the Japanese word that we give it. Your your demonstration partner. Mm-hmm. That way, when you're demonstrating a technique, the person with the visual impairments receiving it directly while other people are watching, that's fantastic. Can't always do that because you know, any as any good instructor knows, you you use different people according to the body type that you want to want to make a point with. You want to spread your, your teaching out as best as you can. Um in that case, you know, you have to make sure that you have a trusted member of the of the club that can work with the person to make sure that they're getting the you know the the technique taught to them uh, in a clear way that's communication when we're talking about somebody with a visual impairment if we're talking about somebody with uh hearing impairment someone who is deaf or hard of hearing then we we want to be you know speaking in their direction we want to make sure that they're close enough that if they have some limited ability to hear that they're close enough to hear Um, if not, then that you're facing them so that they can, if they can lip read, that they're able to see that, that they're able to see clearly the movements that you're doing. And then it's also a point of making sure, like, do we have, is there a lot of, is there a loud background music that's playing? Because a lot Mm -hmm. of, a lot of gyms like to have background music. That's super distracting. If you're relying on your hearing, it's super distracting. If you're somebody who's overly sensory stimulated, Mm -hmm. a lot of it, all of this, all of this breaks down into questions of communication. And that's just a, that's something that instructors have to navigate. And the best way to do that is talk to the, if you have a, a class with an individual with a disability, the best way to, to figure this all out is to speak with them, uh, to go into it with an open mind, mm-hmm. and also not to put them on the spot in front of like a large group of people. These are things that you can talk about off the mat in preparation after, after a class, you know, see what worked, what didn't. And it's, you know, it's also that, open-mindedness about, you know, knowing that people with disabilities are capable of learning martial arts, are, Mm -hmm. you know, um, respected members of the club, and and we should, you know, welcome them with open arms, if not, you know, actively try to recruit them. So that was a really long, long long-winded answer.
0: (laughs) I like it. It had a lot of practical takeaways for people listening. So very, very useful. Thank you. I appreciate you going into so much depth. Um, I want to go now a little bit back in time, I guess, to what happened next in your story. So you're in high school or you're yeah. middle school, high school. You've been learning wrestling, um, you know, having some success with it, maybe not having so much success with it, whatever. It doesn't matter. You're having fun. You're making friends. Um, what happens next for you?
1: So when I went to college, I really needed some sort of activity. I wasn't, uh, I, I wasn't at the level where I really wanted to, to have the time commitment of college wrestling because that is just a huge time commitment, Mm -hmm. but I needed some physical activity. And I looked around and stumbled upon this, this club of Aikido. And I'd, I'd heard of Aikido before. It was one of the few martial arts that I think existed kind of in my hometown. I, I'd seen it demonstrated once, or I'd felt, you know, I, I think, um, the local, uh, dojo in my, in my kind of hometown area had done a demonstration at my school so I was kind of familiar with it and I thought, you know, that's, that's cool. I'll give that a try. So I, I signed up for it, ended up, um, practicing, I think all four years of, of my undergraduate time at, at university, um, practicing Aikido, mm-hmm. uh, ended up starting to attend the the local dojo in my hometown in summer break during summer vacations. And I really, again, it, it was a great, it was a community. It was a great community to have in, in two different places. It was a different group to connect with. It got me physically active and really Aikido. It's, it's an interesting art in the sense that I don't really promote it as a self-defense art. I think people have to be really careful um, when you advertise certain martial arts as self-defense, just in the sense of you don't want people to get overly confident. Mm-hmm. But all that being said, there are things that you learn from the martial arts that are gonna benefit you health-wise, self-defense-wise. For Aikido, for me, what it really benefited me with was uh, learning how to balance, learning how to fall safely, um, really just having full control over my body because Aikido does have a lot of positions that, are, that require you to be very, very well-balanced, um, require you to roll fairly dynamically, uh, I think I just developed a really cl- clear sense of where the ground was in relation to me all of the time. Mm-hmm. And that has saved me in the sense of times where I have slipped on ice and fallen down and my body just naturally goes into the safest way to fall, a nice break fall kind of shape. And at this point, it's something where I don't have to actively think about the same with my dad. My dad is in his seventies. Uh, uh, he got into Aikido because I was doing it. And I think him learning how to fall has really helped his body out. He no longer practices, but some of that still remains in the in the kind of memory that mm-hmm. yeah, you know, you slip on something, you you kind of naturally fall to the side. You naturally use your arm to absorb some of the some of the um, momentum. You know, all these things. So yeah, so after high school, that that first kind of step was was learning Aikido, and I stuck with it for. I think, more or less 10 years that I was practicing. Wow. And was
0: there some overlap with judo then? There was.
1: I ended up starting judo because I started to work abroad. I taught English abroad in Spain and then Japan. Mm -hmm. And when I went to Japan to teach English abroad, I was um, very soon, I think within a month after arriving, one of my neighbors who knew that I had, been a, uh, been a high school wrestler and knew that I was interested in Aikido said, you know, if you did wrestling and, and you do Aikido, you know, you might like judo. Why, why don't you come along with me? I'll take you to the, to the local club mm-hmm. and we'll see if you like it. And I went, I loved it. I just thought it was so much fun. And especially in Japan, Japan is not the easiest country for foreigners to, mm-hmm. to become a part of the community. Um, I think there's a pretty high bar for, for becoming a member of a, of a community in Japan except for your local martial arts club, you know, judo. Um, I've heard people say the same thing about karate. Yeah. I walked into that dojo. They had, I don't think anyone there had ever worked with somebody with a visual impairment, but from that day forward, I had, you know, friends in the city at, you know, in, in every different profession, I had friends who were security guards, who were firefighters, who were police officers the instructor of the dojo. And I always, I just, I never forget this. The instructor of the dojo said, Nick, you know, you're a foreigner here. If you ever have any problem at all while you're here, you know, we've got somebody that can help you because we've got people everywhere, Mm -hmm. you know, and it's just, that's part of that community. And that's when I really saw the kind of the strength of that Um, martial arts, just they link you with people that you wouldn't necessarily come across in your daily life. there was, I don't know if anybody else in, in my judo club in Japan, you know, were necessarily teachers, but there were, there were every other type of person. So it was, it was fantastic. It exposed me to people I would have never met otherwise.
0: Yeah, it's a common thing you hear people say about martial arts. I think... Um... Roger Gracie might have said it famously as well too. Definitely one of the Gracies have um, in some of their interviews in Rob Drysdale's book spoken about how, you know, on the mats you're going to have people, you know, rich, poor, from different racial backgrounds, you know, different types Mm -hmm. of abilities, people that you wouldn't necessarily talk to at all, but you might even have some disagreement with day-to-day but we put all that aside yep. to be able to step onto the mats together and yep. how much that helps us grow as human beings to be able to look past maybe prejudices and different experiences to see that like at the end of the day once we slap fists or you know whatever it is depending yep. on the style we're all just humans.
1: And That being said that's an awesome segue into something else I'd like to share with you in, in mm. the audience is that after I've been training judo for around 2 years um i was kind of ending the time that i was planning on on working as a teacher in japan and i was really interested in going a little bit further with the judo and one of well at so my my instructor at the time said you know there's there are full time judo um programs here for foreigners so he put me in contact with uh nakajima sensei is the, is the man's name he's a I believe he's an eighth Dan, he's an eighth mm-hmm. degree black belt in Judo, eighth degree black belt in karate as well, I believe. The most kind-hearted, fun uh, man I've, I've ever met. Um, my, my Judo instructor put me in contact with Nakajima Sensei and uh, on a trip to Tokyo, I visited Nakajima Sensei and Nakajima Sensei, the first words out of his mouth were, um, touch my ears, they're like potatoes, isn't that great? You're gonna be great. Hey, I want you to go to this, you know, judo university in Katsuura, which is in the Chiba Prefecture in Japan. I mean, the man basically just like already had a plan for what he wanted me to do. But just like I love the fact that the first thing out of his mouth was like, Hey, it's so great to meet you. My ears are like potatoes. It's just like all these things they are flying at me like oh my goodness like what is this man doing <laughs> I, think, I think one of his things were like are you blind that's great like cool like i love that attitude like i'm blind that's fantastic um and he he put me in contact with the with the uh um with the head of the program who is um uh katsuhiko uh, kashiwazaki sensei now kashiwazaki sensei is uh was the judo world champion Mm-hmm. Um, back in, I believe, the late 1970s, he was super famous for uh, Tomoe Nages, which is a which is a, sac- a sacrifice throw. Mm-hmm. Um, really, really, just a spectacular ground fighter. Um, so Nakajima Sensei put me in, in touch with Kashiwazaki. Uh, I met Kashiwazaki. Um, they invited me to join a training uh, one day in Tokyo. I went to the training thinking it was training. Turns out it was a tournament that they just put me in. Like, oh yeah, we're doing a friendly tournament here. You're going to participate. Um, thank goodness I, I actually won the, the match that I was in right right off the bat, uh, which which was very uh, serendipitous. Um, afterwards, I said, "Thanks, Kashiwazaki. Like, I'm going to apply to your program. Uh, hopefully, I'll see you next year." He just kind of said, "We'll see," um, because that's the way he was. And uh, I ended up going to the program. But what I wanted to, this is a a rambling way to get around to the point that I wanted to make is when I actually started this uh, uh, judo program in, um, it's the Kokusai Budo Daigaku. It's the International Budo University. Um, They have a program for uh, foreign foreign students to come to Japan for a year Mm -hmm. and study one of, I believe, three martial arts. I believe it's kendo, karate, or judo. Mm -hmm. I'm drawing a blank as if there was a fourth, but in the year that I was there, it was the three. So I enrolled in the Judo program, and for the first two to three months, it was awful. I would go to practice every day, and the other Japanese uh, male Japanese students did not want anything to do with me. They didn't really want anything to do with any of the foreign students, but especially the blind foreign student, and I think this had a lot to do with the fact that uh, low expectations for, you know, an, uh, an opponent who's blind, mm-hmm. uh, combined with the fact that if you lose against somebody who is blind, uh, that, you know, reflects poorly on you. So I spent a good two months of my first year there, or my my year there at, in the program, um, standing on the side of the mat, uh, trying to get any anyone to spar with, um, largely only sparring with the other foreign uh, students. And I went and spoke to Kashiwazaki Sensei about it, and Kashiwazaki Sensei said, "Why are you bothering with with the men? Come and train with the girls' team." And I said, "Okay." And he said, "the the the women's team of judo. Uh, these are women who are used to being discriminated against.
2: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: they know what that's like. They don't care who you are. Uh, they don't care that you have a disability. They're going to kick your ass." And I said, "Okay." And I went and uh, started training with the the women's team. And they were intense. They were, they were monsters. You know, they, there was no holds barred in the sense of, uh, they train extremely hard, much harder than the men. Uh, they, there were, they, they did not, uh, hesitate to, to do their best to throw me, uh, to submit me. I think it really improved my judo. Uh, it was a very different style because a lot of the women there, uh, used much more technique over, over just pure strength, mm-hmm. uh, I ended up training with them for, I trained with them on and off for the rest of the year. Um, Got a fantastic photo with their entire team at the, at the end of the year. Uh, And then a couple months later, I I entered a tournament and won five matches against other men uh, in a row. Um, And then Kashiwazaki the next day gave me a belt with his name on it. So I now have my black belt is Kashiwazaki's belt. Um, Something that I think very few people have. And he was just so happy that I I think more more than happy that I won matches or earned my black belt, I think he was just happy that I beat a bunch of
0: other men. That is an incredible story. I'm so happy that Segway led to that. And, you you know, I think it's such a huge thing for for women in combat sports, you know, to struggle with a similar thing, right? Where men don't want to roll with you because you don't want to lose to a girl. Um, that's embarrassing, similar, right? Or they're like, oh, I don't want to break you because you're mm-hmm. a girl. And it's a little bit of both at the same time. And so you'll find that, yeah, there's a lot of avoiding eye contact um, type of thing. And we're really fortunate nowadays that there are, there's a lot more um, representation in martial arts. You know, there are much more women on the mats. Uh, it looks very different to how it looked, you know, 10 years ago of being mostly white men. Uh, fully able white men training it's uh, very different and so now you can you know roll with people who do look similar to you and it's a little bit easier but there's definitely still um a lot of that so i think it's an incredible testament to your character too that you were like yeah i'm gonna go train with the women like um i'm down for that you know
1: one of one of my philosophies has has long been that especially any anyone who is in a position where they face discrimination or exclusion, um, any anything that we can do to promote inclusion for others, whether that be promote inclusion for other people like ourselves or promote inclusion for people that are that are you know in another situation from ourselves, anytime that we're promoting inclusion, we are benefiting everyone, including ourselves. you know whether or not whether or not you know I'm talking about promoting the same, so for example, um training with, with the women's team, you know, if I'm promoting more inclusion of women in sports, that's gonna help me in the end. If I'm if my you know, if I'm promoting like uh politics around, you know, better rights for people in the LGBTQ community, that's mm-hmm. gonna benefit me. Because inclusion, I think, is just something that is widespread in in I, I don't see inclusion as having parts. I see inclusion as everything.
0: Yes, I think that's such an important point to make. I have definitely run into my fair share of gym owners um, who see that they have a niche market, which is, you know, white cis men who... drawn to martial arts and they've got a marketing formula that they feel like is kind of down and you know their gym has steady membership or maybe like some sort of steady growth and they're like well why would i invest the time in people who it doesn't even seem to me this is always the the rhetoric is it doesn't even seem to me like women or you know people from the lgbtq community or you know, people with disabilities are interested in doing martial arts. And it's just not true, but that's the perception, right? And the reality is, is that once you get past perhaps a small dip, then the fact that you tried to create a more inclusive space, you know, means that the longevity of your club is so fortified. It means that as our community, thankfully, continues to evolve and grow, and I, really hope move away from power over structures, then Mm -hmm. you're going to be set up to have a thriving community. Whereas everybody else is going to be like, Oh, I could go to this gym where like, they're really friendly to everyone and everyone's included. And even though like, you know, I feel okay here. I want to go there because like, that seems like a really nice environment to train in. They kind of go hand in hand.
1: No, my, it's something that we've seen where I train Brazilian Jiu Jitsu now is that you know, if you, if you walk into a club as somebody who is a person of color, somebody who has a disability, somebody who is black, somebody who, or, or a woman, for example, if you walk into a club and see a whole room full of white cisgender men, it's probably not going to see the most welcoming environment for you. If you walk into that same club and see that there's a mix of people, a mix of genders, a mix of colors, that all of a sudden becomes like, hey, you know, maybe this is a place for me you know, it, it has that immediate impact. And we've seen this with, especially, especially with our kids class, when we have students who come in, or parents that come in with their child, and when they see more diversity, much more likely that they're going to, you know, enroll their kids, especially if their kid represents a minority group, or, you know, whatever the case may be. It, it's creating that, that welcoming environment. Of course, we're going to say that, Oh, there's no market for this other, you know, there's no market for women in sports or there's no market for whatever the case may be. If we've never, you know, opened that market up in the first place.
0: Yes. Yes. A absolute men. I very, very loud and clear support everything that you're saying. Um, and I think we're in a good place, you know, a better place than we have been in the world is definitely improving in that space.
1: Yeah, no, just, just today I saw this is super cool. Um, my wife was, uh, was, I think she was on Twitter, or I don't know where she saw it. But um, right now, with the uh, the large, large uh, jujitsu tournament that happens in Abu Dhabi, mm-hmm. uh, this next uh, this next uh, tournament, it, they they have um, the Paralympics. Uh, uh, they have the Paralympic categories of disability all uh, represented within the tournament. Now, um, I think they said it's the. I don't know if it's the first time or the first time in in recent years, but. So now in the jiu-jitsu tournament, there will be categories for um, people with varying types of disabilities, um, everything from amputees to visual impairments to hearing impairments. So um, it's great to see that at such a large tournament. Now, I'm also 100% a fan of, you know, I I compete with, with other people who do not have disabilities as well as with people who have disabilities. So I don't necessarily think that we always need those categories, but I also think it's cool to have those categories and have that flexibility to be able to know if you're somebody who's competing to be able to compete within one of those categories or not you know but it's great to see that option is there and that is becoming popular enough where that can exist
0: absolutely it's great to see that the option is there and also there are going to be champions in all of those Mm -hmm. divisions right and they will therefore get exposure on social media so then people can see representation of someone who you know is similar to themselves competing and winning whereas you know, it, it might seem like a really big thing to think, okay, I'm going to compete against able-bodied people when you don't have a model for that. That's even possible, but you have representation. That's so, so meaningful. I love that. That's fantastic news. I'm going to try and find that on social media after we get off.
1: Yeah, no, it's great. I get, if, I, if um, I can try to ask my wife where she saw it and I'll, I'll try to forward it along as well.
0: Please, please do. Um, and while we're on the topic of Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, so you, you were like in Japan training Judo. Um, and then when you're like, the next logical step is to take it fully to the ground.
1: Absolutely. Um, <laughs> one of the things that I noticed was there's a couple of reasons. Uh, so there was a great um, club in Tokyo that is the, it was called the Neuazu Kenkyukai, Ken, uh, Neuazu Kenkyukai, I believe it's called. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a ground fighting. It was so purely ground fighting club. It was a judo ground fighting club. Um, so, a, you know, we, on weekends, I would sometimes go train with them and I got a lot more exposure to the ground fighting. And I also found that I was winning a lot of, the matches that I was winning in judo, a lot of them I was winning after I took it to the ground. Mm. So I thought, you know what? I'm really kind of interested in this, you know, in, in um, exploring the ground fighting side of judo a little bit more and combine that with the fact that uh, unfortunately here in the U S uh, judo is just not as popular in smaller towns and cities. There might be one judo club, but especially when you're someone with a visual impairment, such as myself, if you don't have a car, it's, you know, it can be very difficult to get to that club. Mm-hmm. Um, however, Brazilian jiu-jitsu is is everywhere now mm. uh, it's it's a lot more um oh, what's the word i'm looking for not inundated because that sounds like a, that sounds like a, a negative connotation but it it's just much more wep- represented now uh, mm. nationally in the u.s so it was super easy to find brazilian jiu-jitsu clubs and it's been super easy to find them as i've moved uh to different cities so um kind of a combination of those two factors of just really enjoying the ground game and the ease of finding places to train The past um, yeah, I guess now the past six years, I've been primarily focused on uh on Brazilian Jiu Jitsu and then supplementing it with judo whenever I can or introducing it into the clubs where I'm at. Um here in my current Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu club, we've done Friday night judo classes, or we'll we'll do some judo training on on the weekend on a Sunday. Um and yeah, it's been it's been great. Um and the Brazilian jiu-jitsu in particular has been something I've now practiced. Uh, I practiced in Ecuador, in Switzerland, in Chile. I, and it's been just, especially, especially when I moved to, to Ecuador, uh, I found the, uh, I found a Brazilian Jiu Jitsu club and same, same thing that happened with judo in Japan. I immediately had a network of friends in Ecuador that I didn't have mm-hmm. prior to that. And it was friends at all levels. It was friends that could help me out with things that I needed in the community, friends that could give me advice. Uh, That were not, you know, work colleagues. So it was super cool. And and it's always fun to come, you know, come to your professional job the next day with a black eye and have to explain that like, (laughs) you know, I was training with this guy who elbowed me in the face on accident, you know, it's, I, I, there's, there's a little part of me that always likes to to do those kind of things and have those conversations with in in very professional environments where perhaps that's not expected. (laughs)
0: <laughs> oh that's so funny i have very similar except that in all of my professional lives nobody would expect anything less than for me yeah. to have a black eye yeah. or some kind yeah, of bruise nice. <laughs> well <just> yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> maybe maybe i don't know uh, yeah i it, it could go either way but i think yeah. i've designed it pretty well that's the mm-hmm. <laughs> expectation but yeah i found the same thing like i've been to indonesia to thailand japan Um, and you can just find a club, step on the mat, and even if there's a language barrier, you know, we all speak movement. I think that's one of the really Mm -hmm. beautiful things too. Karate is the same. Like you tend to universally speak the, you know, a rough amount of Japanese to be able to instruct a session, and that's all you need to be able to say in order to communicate in some other way, you know, through movement. Absolutely. I want to come to the question that I ask all of my guests, which I know you're prepared for, which is we hear this notion that, you know, for you it might be judo saved my life or aikido saved my life or jiu-jitsu saved my life. Some version of martial arts saved my life is, I think, really, really common. And some people mean it quite literally and some people mean it more figuratively in the form of it changed my life significantly. But what do you think it is about martial arts that they are so transformative?
1: I think... It has a lot to do with our connections with our body and the fact that martial arts is constantly pushing us, no matter what martial art it is, it's pushing us to um, move past perhaps the barriers that our body or that, that we have, the expectations that we have for our body. Uh, it's helping us exercise, which is always good for health. It's good for our mental health. It's good for our, our physical health. But on top of that, it's it's exercise that's also pushing the limits, that's pushing the boundaries of what we're used to doing, whether that be flexibility, stamina, whether that be in a in a more competitive nature. Mm-hmm. And I think all these things kind of combined, they really they really help us develop a better relationship with our body. And through that, you know, it it just creates a, a, a more positive, I, I think. A more positive mindset. And on top of that, you know, exercise, you're releasing endorphins. It's a good feeling. There's so many other related kind of benefits with having a place, having a place where you feel welcome, having a community. I think it's just a combination of all these factors where it really, it can save your life in the sense that it can make your life more valuable. Mm-hmm. Uh, it can save your life in the, in the sense of the skills that it's teaching you. And I think it just gives you gives you a different perspective and a different outlook um, all around, uh, you know, in an all around positive kind of uh, nature. Um, obviously, again, I think it goes back to it's not going to be the same martial art for everyone. It's not going to be the same sport for everyone. And I think people do run a risk of, you know, trying the wrong one and maybe giving up too soon. Mm-hmm. But I think if if people give, you know, try a few things and find the the, the martial art, that works best for them i think anyone has that potential to to really have a transformative uh experience
0: i love it thank you so much uh is there anything else that you would like to share with listeners of this show
1: again you know i just have to promote the 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 inclusion of people with disabilities in in sports Mm -hmm. you know it's it's something that i'm constantly trying to get more people uh with disabilities involved um Probably droning at, at my friends who have disabilities for hours on end is not the most effective way to do it, but hey, you know, that's I'm just going to keep doing it. But um, if you're somebody who has a disability, if you know somebody who has a disability, or if you're an instructor and you have that opportunity to, to get someone with a disability involved, I just think it's a, it's a great experience. I really do think it's one of the best ways that we can promote better health. Uh, I think there's a lot of subsequent skills that come along with it. And especially for instructors, you know, it might seem intimidating, it might seem difficult, but it's, you know, working with people with disabilities is completely uh, natural. I don't think it requires a lot of additional knowledge or expertise. There's there's always that, I think for a lot of people, there's always that moment of, you know, like I'm not prepared for this, or I don't have the skills or expertise. And really, you know, that's not something that, that any one of us has the, I don't have the expertise to teach somebody with, uh, with a physical impairment uh, how to do uh, jujitsu to the same level that, that maybe they, as the person themselves, can, can help me to, to learn. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not expected to know, I'm not expected to be the expert in every other person's body type. And I think instructors just have to be aware of that and, and realize that the best way to learn how to teach somebody is to work with them. And to be open-minded about it and to be willing to work with them.
0: I love it. And so the actionable item from that for everybody listening is if you don't have a disability is to find somebody in your life who has a disability and bring them along to training, not by force, but just, you know, gently. And if you're listening and you have a disability is to find someone who maybe already trains and ask if you can come along with them to training.
1: And if you do force them to come along to training, uh, you can always uh, segue with the words. Uh, I'll stop forcing you to come along with training when you can make me stop you by arm me. You know, just, <laughs> just going. Oh,
0: I love it. Um, Nick, where can people find you online if they want to connect?
1: I'm on Instagram, uh, Nico Hook, uh, N-I-K-O-H-O-E-K. I believe that's my handle for Instagram as well as Twitter. I don't post a ton, but every now and then I do get spicy and start throwing things up. Um, And yeah, basically there. I'm always, you know, whenever anyone sends me a message, I absolutely respond. I just don't always post as much uh, because life gets busy.
0: Oh, yeah. Absolutely, hundred percent. You have to protect your time. No, we'll put the links to um, both of those Twitter and Instagram so people can connect with you if they so wish. And I want to say thank you so much for taking the time to meet with me. It's been a wonderful conversation. I feel like I've learned a lot as well.
1: Awesome. Thank you so much. You've been. I appreciate you welcoming me onto your welcoming me onto your podcast. And yeah, it was a great opportunity.
0: My pleasure. Have you thought of something to be grateful for today? What was it? I'm grateful for the amazing women that train with me at the Fight Back Project. I'm grateful for Nari and the beautiful song Shape Me heard at the beginning and end of every episode. And I'm grateful for you for listening to this show and helping martial arts keep saving lives. So thank you from the bottom of my heart. If you'd like to leave me a review to help more people find the show, that's a bonus.
2: shapes me but me don't gotta tell you what my name is i don't gotta explain it walk in the room here a boom erupting like i'm famous i'm here shedding shells i'm shameless i fear nothing no complacence Walked to many tight ropes with no hope, so I became this poster they hold over all the heads of trauma holders. You don't need to know my history, I move boulders. Atlas shrug, cause I lifted the weight above his shoulders. No pretense of defense, move first like chess soldiers. This goes deeper than empowerment, cause huh, I'm the one that power it. Physical meets mental challenge me to keep devouring. If I can't change the scenery, at least I change perspective. No longer isolated but elevated and selective. Darkest places become beautiful spaces. This is where rage meets patience. Meets power, meets gracious. Meets. we're so glad you came and the feeling is contagious When you the walking impact of intended bad intentions When you the manifesting of collecting all they tensions You the soul and body, hold it all and still remember But I'm a work in progress, testament to all contenders Forgot what it was like to have control over self Forget what it was like to be the one in charge. Forget in my reflection, I can see all my wealth. Forget that with my bare hands, I break all these bars, barriers, and obstacles. They can't cage me, they can't chronicle all my experiences and reduce them to appearances when I was truly beaten gave myself clearances to fall down mess up and get myself back up I'm not looking for clovers cause I don't believe in luck damn you were badass I heard them say it clearly why thank you very much I know now I'm not weary of what's next for me cause I expect to see growth like I was planted watered fed and bloomed to be the positivity and accountability knowing they won't step if I'm the agent of my agency I think I found my voice again, huh? I think I found my voice again, huh? I'm not sorry, I'm not sorry, you're the end where I begin. Boundaries, I know them well. Take a breath and meditate. Who is she? I know her well. Now I get to open gates. One, two, one, two. I don't need your permission. And if you get uncomfortable, then use your intuition to know that I won't stay where respect is ever missing. And everything I do, that's me making decisions. It's truly underrated, the value of self-worth. Forgot that I was rich from the moment of my birth. A penny for my thoughts, no reason. Really? You can't afford it. You cannot buy my story, rewrite it, hold record it. You cannot buy my story, rewrite it, hold record it, ho. Oh.